0: Good Nix explores the journey and meaning of doing good in the world.
1: I get to choose every day when I wake up, whether I'm going to work for a Fortune 500 and make a ton of money or work for the movement that is the arc of moral justice. But I realized that I also had an obligation to weaponize my privilege. One day we said, OK, if the city's not going to do it, the state's not going to do it, if some large corporation's not going to do it why not us and if there were enough of you if you were organized enough if you were loud enough it would be too difficult for them to ignore you
2: good
0: Nix, created by jeff leitner hosted by Annalisa and relay available everywhere you listen to podcasts
1: mealy i have two problems What are those? I really love the show on Professional Development, and I have a big blank spot on my chest where my shirt is. First of all, the first one doesn't sound like a problem. I mean, it's so
3: much love, I can't contain it. And you also have, what, a blank spot on your chest? Yeah, where my shirt is. You never grew chest hair? Obviously not. Oh, I know what you should do. You should go to this link in the show notes and get an Unprofessional Development t-shirt.
1: Yes, that sounds like exactly what I needed for this premise. So, boys and girls, we have T-shirts. We have magnets. We yes. have buttons. Show your unprofessional love.
3: That way you'll get to know who your fellow unprofessionals are when you're walking down the hallway and go, oh,
1: you listen to that too? Be an unprofessional representative.
2: I think about process a lot. I mean, rote memorization from the standpoint of understanding a process. So when we talk about, for example, civic engagement, well, what does it mean to vote? Like, how does one do that? How does one remain aware of who your elected officials are? I'm still what trying to figure to... that out. Yeah, I, well, all of us, right? It's, uh, well, yeah. Now we're actually it's we're recording tonight. We do our the stuff without the guests, and then we'll get the guests later in the week and put it all together. And yeah, part of the conversation today is like voting data and all that stuff. But that's the part we don't focus on. Like, it always drives me nuts when I look at social studies curriculum. And it's a history curriculum in high schools, too. And you're seeing the way it's being played out by these different periods of time and these things that people know. And I've looked at assessments in social studies, and I always come back to like, this is really telling me it's important that people know when the Civil War ended, but you're not telling me anything about what happened after. Yeah. We actually had on, you were, we were talking about like things that opened my eyes. We had on Professor Eric Foner from Columbia University, who does a ton of work on Reconstruction. And we talked openly that there's a 30 year gap in American history from 1865 to like Teddy Roosevelt in 1900. Why? Like, and now we're learning what happened during that time. <laughs> yeah, you know, when we talk about like, oh, I saw this thing on Watchmen about Tulsa. Is that real? But this comes back to like what it is and this tension of what to teach versus and how to teach. I think the how we don't get into that conversation. Like, I I love nerding out about pedagogy because. From a professional development standpoint, there's a space to talk about like, how do people want to do this? And how do people learn these different ways pedagogically? But having a discussion, not having it laid out like, this is the way. Like, I love the fact that there was a hotly debated conversation of, of, I do, we do, you do. I'm actually seeing that play out in a public school that we currently work with, where one coach feels that that's the way you do it. And, you know, our coaches tend to be more on a different spectrum of like, well, why dictate that? Like (laughs) there's other ways that I better understand what, you know, the students are trying to learn or how they learn best.
4: What's interesting is through that conversation that we had, that that debate that we had, um, a large uh, light was shown on uh, the research behind it and how it's been misinterpreted over years and how like that's that was the one side. The one side was how it's been misinterpreted uh, over the years because it started with an ELA thing. And then somebody in math was like, let's try that in math. And then it's also like, who's it, who does it work for? Is it work better for small group? Does it work for, better for large group? Should it be eliminated completely? I mean, that was the conversation. So, uh, for anybody listening, to this like August, you'll hear that that podcast. And um, I'll be honest, I, after listening to it a few times, I still I still need to look into it and read more. I really don't know. So I was, but, I was gonna
3: say a, the question I have with, comes from memorization. I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm reading a book and I haven't gotten all the way through it that, that addresses like Getting things from short- term memory to long- term memory and stuff like that in your car when you go to turn on the wipers but or in your house when you go to the kitchen and you get to get a, go to get a glass you you go to the cabinet where the glasses are at no point did you like intentionally spend like 30 minutes opening up the glasses cabinet. <laughs> like goes, okay, I'm going to take a glass out so I can remember where the, where the glasses are here or I'm going to turn my wipers on and off. And sometimes these things, they get in our head. So who knows like the brain science behind, like how can I get you to know that seven plus six is 13 the same way you know where the glasses are versus me like drilling and killing you with that nonstop?
4: So uh, somebody that we've had on, She was on the memorization episode with the follow-up and then she's one of the sides for that episode. I'm going to talk about is uh, Lisa McConchie and she has a whole lot of research uh, and studies the brain and how math is learned. If you look her up, uh, Lisa McConchie, she, she is very well-spoken and has a ton of research. And if you ask her, She'll give you all the research that she, she has found. <laughs> she is very open about trying to share every uh, bit of research. She's fantastic. Uh, but that's like, I, I've been leaning on her a lot with a lot of her brain research and how it's learned. And she's one that's like, we got to get kids to convert things to long-term memory at some point. So then that way their working. Memory doesn't have to work as hard in upper level mathematics. Like that's so, I mean, And those are like more complex situations as opposed to like turning on wipers or, you know um, you know, combing your hair. So. Right.
0: (laughs) The idea of working memory and how much stress we put on working memory and the role of trauma on working memory. And there's a lot of studies that have shown that uh, trauma impacts working memory severely. Um, And there's other things too, like ADHD and working memory um, fetal alcohol syndrome, and working memory. But the fact that if we're, Leaning too much on working memory, a working memory can be overloaded. Um, but two, like we we are teaching a population that has gone through a global trauma, and their working memory is impacted. And we we really don't know the long term neurological effects uh, of COVID, whether it's kids that have had COVID or dealt with trauma or whatever that is. And I think. As teachers, we are going to have to start looking not only at the science of pedagogy, which I think we need to look at more, but also the science of neurology and adolescent development. Um, and how and what we ask of kids is that developmentally appropriate? And I know that's been co-opted to be like, is learning about gay people developmentally appropriate? But really to be asking, like, is, this act of memorization is this act of compare and contrast. Is that developmentally appropriate? Because I remember reading one study that was looking at literally comparing and contrasting, and where in the brain's development is that ability actually developing? And it was like around 12, 13 years of age. And so when we incorporate that knowledge into our pedagogy, I think we can also, especially for kids that are developmentally delayed. Instead of being like, you're not working hard enough or just look at it more, recognize that their brain is just, I don't want to say incapable, but is really struggling with the processes that we are asking them to utilize. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think
5: we're starting to, to cross that bridge now, um, thinking more uh, of students that are not neurodivergent. I work in special education and um, we, there's so much research that is coming out. Like you've said, Aviva, and uh, I think we're becoming a little more aware, but we still are kind of, we do have a segment of our population in the profession that is stuck kind of in their old ways, you know, going back to the calculation device, you know, debate, do you use a calculator or not? I hear that all the time because I have several students who need to use a calculator and I have some old school teachers who are like, well, they need to do this without the calculator. And I'm like, they literally can't. Like is, they, their brain doesn't work that way. They right. cannot yes. it's I told you, you have, tomorrow you have to get to work without a car. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and no shoes either. Okay. But you get
0: a Roman chariot.
3: Yes.
5: You got like the Flintstones. Yeah. You're getting exactly that's that's the only way. Right. You're giving these the students the tools that they need, yeah. you know, in order to access the the curriculum is, and that's that's what it all comes down to. But now that we have people who are doing this research and we have voices like our own, you know, or we're, we're discussing this more. Um, I think it's, it's great for a profession and that's kind of where we need to to go. We can't think of all of these students just in clusters. You know, we have to think about them individually. We, we hear individ, individualized education all the time, but what is that really? What really is individualized education? Um, but I think we're, we're starting to head in that direction.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's one of the problems with education. Like, our profession is just insane because <laughs> the profession is really old. The profession is 100% necessary. Like we all agree that it's necessary, but we've also been kind of stuck in our ways of doing it for like hundreds or thousands of years. And none of us know how it works. Like if I asked you to break down for me biologically, how do I learn? Like, I I don't know. You, you do stuff. <laughs> I know, like, what can get you to learn something, but I don't know why. Right,
5: and I think it's funny sometimes. You, know, if you bring that that kind of stuff up, like, well, this this is how these neurodivergent students, you know, if if they have dyslexia, this is how they how their brain works. And I'll just get blank stares. Right, because like, I don't know how a, a regular ADHD. brain
1: works <laughs> to compare it to. They're like, like
5: <laughs> I don't, I don't care how they learn; they're just supposed to learn.
1: That's like you tell me the difference job. between my engine and like a V eight engine. Um, I turn the key, and elves make it go on. That's nice. That's well,
2: that's nice. the thing about, like, I mean, if we're having a conversation on learning theory, like, that's a whole... Like, I don't know in teacher education programs if that's something that's part of that discussion. Because um, it seems like you get into a place of, of when you're talking about uh, talking about these concepts that, like, in 2022, we recognize that we need to better understand learning theory. You know, we've been talking a lot about pedagogy, but the extension to that is the science of learning. But we're in a space where we need to have that conversation. I think it challenges that... That's not a part of the conversation because that's more empowering, like for people to better understand their students. But armed with the appropriate research, you know, Jack brings up a great point in special education. There's a lot of thrust behind that, like students that you're working with who receive services. They're spelling out on IEP what these students should be getting access to. And it's fascinating because we do that for students who happen to be labeled a certain way. Like, there's because there's this assumption. Well, if they learn differently, therefore they have all these interventions necessary. What we're all recognizing, and this is true for like six people, six adults in this room, is that like Howard Gardner somewhere should be smiling because we recognize we all learn differently. Mm. So, if we're saying, what does it look like for every cl- student in a classroom to have what amounts to their own IEP, which they probably could speak to themselves to some extent, like what way they learn best, but this completely explodes this conversation of like what to teach, when to teach, like, all of that it becomes significantly harder if you're recognizing that we're trying to nationally more or less recognize the fact that everyone has their own needs because that's certainly being played out in the workplace like there's so much information coming out now that you know as a leader you know you have to manage people individually you know and we say these things but we recognize in classrooms we don't do that with children or we really struggle and that's not because of teachers it's because of the environment that's being created and the fact that you have I mean, we've all been talking about grade levels and when to teach and like there's structures in the K to 12 setting that make you wonder, well, we know why it's there because it work. It it seems not I'm going to be careful. Does it work? I don't know at this point anymore, but like it also serves a social good. And I think that's the conversation that becomes really hard when we analyze education is it's fulfilling a social need, but sometimes it's also fulfilling a need for others that we're not comfortable talking about. It's the only profession that people sort of pair with how it supports us as a society. Everything else gets to be explored in a vacuum and evolved at a different pace. Education, there's so much I say this to teachers all the time, and I never like this word, I'll use it here, stakeholders. And it's so like as a teacher, there's so many different entities that that want. To have a say in the way you do your role. And it's the same thing with with school leaders as well. That's not the way it operates outside the classroom. And that makes it significantly harder to try to measure, to try to evolve, and to have a meaningful conversation about where it should be going and recognize the work that not just professionals do, but everyone as a society has to get, get down with.
3: And I think some of it comes down to this and I'm gonna go I'm gonna go back to my microwave pizza analogy because I think it's the best. And I disagree, (laughs) good. There are kids who like, you know like their pizza better when it's heated up in the air fryer or the toaster oven and some teachers are going to say well what I do is I just get out like the flour and the water and we make our own dough and we take the tomatoes and we do this and we get three kinds of cheeses and I make sure everyone's got the only kind of toppings that they want and every kid gets their own pizza exactly the way they want and I'm like well that that sounds nice and that's and that's lovely and I'm sure that's wonderful but first of all you got to spend a lot of more prep time then you got a big mess to clean up meanwhile if i just stick this pizza in the microwave and I give it to all the kids they might think it tastes kind of yucky but at the end of the day they've got the nutrients that are that are that are inside them and so I think that somewhere in between is like some days I give my students microwave pizza and that's because I only have so much to give and I've got to give to other um, areas of my life. And some days I'm like, okay, we're going to do this awesome thing. I've got the flower. I've got the this, I've got this. We've got, you know, Mm -hmm. I've got the, all the, all the fancy stuff. And we are going to like, this is going to be the best lesson you've, you've ever had. And we're going to, and we're going to learn some stuff until like they um, put 20 times the money that is in education as they're in now, I can't you know I can't make from scratch pizza with like five kids every day according to all their dietary needs and and like you know be checking their BMI and everything else to make sure we <laughs> are taking blood samples. so this one you need more spinach because the well, iron's low, and Johnny over here, so you're putting, getting spinach on the pizza. So I think that while we do need to individualize and we do need to address things we do need to help kids. Understand, and we do need to learn how kids can learn, we also have to realize, and we also have to realize how we can teach, and not everyone can teach the way every kid can learn and it's it's, it's a very, very um, complicated, messy um, thing that I love
0: to run with your metaphor, though, I think the important thing, like Jack was talking about as a special ed teacher, that if the sped teacher came to you and it was like mealy my kid needs to put this in the air fryer instead of the microwave, and I'll put it in the air fryer for you, and I'll deal. I'll, I'll take this on that you don't go. No, microwave only. <laughs>
4: <laughs> right, right. No, you are well, Yes, yeah. and I think. So, sorry, go ahead, Tesco.
1: I I recently read a, a really good book called uh, *Rain of Error*, and uh, it was talking about how honestly a lot of
4: the Tesco reads books.
1: I do. Uh, uh, Mr. Nerd to you and it was talking about how honestly with a lot of individualized like education stuff like the the data we're getting back from it is not as outstanding as you might think Um, and a lot of it seems to grow out of the um, like the multiple intelligences uh which was all the rage when when i was in college and so i studied all of these you know different ways and i would have to give presentations on like my teacher would be like oh what happens if you have you know a lesson that deals with text and you have students who learn uh, who who are more audible learners and I would say I'm gonna give them a text because they need to learn it through text eventually. Like you can't be an audible learner and learn how to drive a car that way. Like you need to practice all of your intelligences no matter what your strong and weak points are. And and there's definitely something to that, and and the data seems to be backing that up. But I don't want to say that definitively because I haven't done like a deep dive into that research.
4: That's actually something I just saw pop up the other day that somebody said it's been dispelled, and I that was the first time I saw it pop up on like my timeline because that's not something I dive into often because it's not always specific. It's boring.
1: Push. All the it's stuff so that would boring. help us is so boring.
4: Same thing with college. Uh, but anyway, so so uh, you're know, going back to kind of like, again, the pizza metaphor, because we all agree it's the best. Um, <laughs> so, Everybody's saying but, yeah, Everybody, the world is saying it. Uh, so with that, though, and I kind of take it a little bit different approach with this. When I work with, with schools that are constantly focusing on remediation and but they never work on. Uh, helping teachers strengthen the core,
5: mm-hmm.
4: um, then I, I tell them I'm like, well, you did, you're just setting yourself up for a cycle of remediation always, because your core isn't strong, and so with the core is strong, then the the masses that are going into uh, the remediation is larger, um, and it will just continue to grow. Because you're never your your core instruction isn't good enough, and that I'm very big on the on the pedagogy side of it, uh, and the instructional routines and, and strategies, and equitable access to to equitable resources and things like that, and that teachers don't always have. Um, but again, it always goes back to the core itself. Um, You start with a the core, then you weed out and figure out where, you know, what the kids need. And, and with the help of special ed teachers that, you know, if you have a room of uh, of students that have IEPs and things like that, like knowing what their specific needs are for certain tasks and how uh, is best for them to learn, whether it's a uh, hands-on manipulatives or – um or, you know, maybe they need just extra practice on a certain topic or something like that. But that's – and try to gamify things and, and make it enjoyable so that way they can learn it better. So, like, those but those are those are all remediation where, I mean, it used to be something more like 80% of the students, like, you can reach through the core instruction, like, strong core instruction. I am sure that that is not the number anymore. I, I don't know what the number is, but I'm sure that's not it. I'm, I'm guessing that there's going to be some research coming out here in the next probably five, six, seven years of this time period on uh, what's going on with students and how they're learning and, uh, you know, making up for what has been missing. And like that whole and we can get into like what we call this this time period. Like I, like, I think learning loss is a total farce. Um, you know, amen, amen. Cab. I also think yeah. that calling it unfinished uh, learning is also like putting it on the students. I don't think that's stupid as well. Uh, I like. I think it's like unfinished teaching. We just didn't get a chance to teach it. Yeah. Um. So, and that was something that was brought up to me from like Dr. Christopher Child said it to me like not long ago. He's like, "Hey, it's like unfinished teaching." And that was the first time I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like he's right. Like that it, to me, it's it's unfinished teaching. Yeah. We didn't get a chance to teach it. No. Um, it's not, it's not so much, it's not on the students. It's not their fault. It's not our fault. No. Either, it's not their fault. No. Yeah, I got to echo that too, because it, it, that's
2: always really affected me, this concept, because as, as yeah. someone who's got, you know, I you know, two little ones, my youngest is two. I mean, she's not in school yet, but, um, to try to categorize what my daughter's gone through for the last couple of years, cause she went to kindergarten entirely virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, to say that my, my oldest has not been learning or that she's had a loss in learning. I, I get really agitated about that mm-hmm. because we're we're saying because it, it comes back to something that always comes up often when we talk about learning as a concept, which is and this is and I'm not going to get so much into the religion here, but it's like it's not the building. It's not the day of the week that you go. It's it's thing about you like learning is constant. So when That's we relegate it. it to something that happens between the hours of eight and two thirty in a building that you happen to be in from September or late August, as it is in Pennsylvania to to late May, you've lost me. Because you've already mm-hmm. admitted that you don't, you're relegating this responsibility, this extremely sacred one, to other people. Like, this is not a community function. <laughs> and we're saying that my daughter's brain doesn't work between, you know, the other hours. It's insulting. And as a parent, I think we all need to sort of take that stock and recognize
4: mm-hmm.
2: learning doesn't, it's, it's, that's not how learning operates.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, and I, also, Nick, as adults, um, I'll be honest, I think outside of my work day, has been when I've learned the most. Yep. Um, Absolutely. You know, whether it's learning right now. Yeah. Like whether it's, whether it's a podcast or like something on the weekend or um, like my favorite, one of my favorite things to do is, is attend a conference and yeah, go to the sessions, but it's the after hour stuff. It's like going and sitting around having some drinks and like talking about math and talking about pedagogy and talking about like teaching and, What's going on in different areas of the of the country, or in different areas of the state, and you know what are you seeing? Have you done anything that works? Like I I've learned so much over, you know, like a, a bourbon and and a, and a nice steak, like just to sit with somebody and going, hey, like this is like I get this, and you know, people like 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 Dr. Robert, Bear, uh, you know, Robert Barry from the you know, former NCTM president. Like, I, I've sat and with him. At, a, at like a restaurant afterwards and just picked his brain on, um, you know, trying to recruit uh, people of color into into a teaching profession. Like yeah. that's not I'm not going to get that in my work day, regular work mm-hmm. day, unless I can carve because, you know, you can't carve out time for most people that you can truly learn from during a work day. You
1: hear that organizers? That's what we need at PDs, open bar. <laughs> it's,
2: it's funny. I'm actually doing a, I, I'm heading down to Arkansas in late July to do a uh, session with a bunch of school leaders. And prior to, I just surveyed to just get in a sense of like topics and things that people want to get into. And the number one thing was like space to communicate because this group hasn't been together uh, for the past two years. This is their first retreat together. So I built that into our plan. It's like we're going to come up with ways to just do some forms of speed dating and like, keep it topical. Let people choose for themselves. Like, you can use the unconference model, actually, which I, I'm a big fan of, but just rethink it by like listening to people, you know, prior to it's
3: right. And by the way, if it's something that you want as a teacher, it's most likely something that your students want as a learner. Hmm. Like, like this is they the kind want an of common... open bar. Yes, they do I don't know. 100 percent they do. And obviously, and st- like the, the conversations mine. need to be age appropriate, <laughs> but it's amazing if you can like have these kind of conversations with like, hey, what was a class that you really enjoyed? And what was the structure and what and what how did it work for you? And why did you like it? And not just like, oh, we worked in groups or they didn't give any homework and like d- make them dig deeper and have those conversations and go, what was it about that that made it good for you? And what can we do in here to make it work for you? And like have that, like not just like it's good to have that the first couple of days, but also have that later on and like say, hey, we're just going to take like 30 minutes today and you know, we're not going to talk about math or English or French or whatever it is. We're going to talk about like what's going on in this class and structure it so that there's like small group discussions that they can share out so that you can like go around and talk to individuals and and draw something from them because some people don't want to talk in a large group and whatever it is you can get to get as much input and go, okay, you know what? I thought it was going okay but it's not or oh mm-hmm. you know what you know that thing that i only did once that like was really annoying to me they, they love it so i guess we're gonna mm-hmm. have less microwave pizza and more um you know air
0: fry, <laughs> air
1: more fry. Air fry. everybody yeah. agrees. just the best
0: so one well, thing it, that i do with my uh, students is because i i am a I'm I'm a nerd. I I'm so sorry to just go I accuse you of being a nerd. I but you're, I am, you're better than other people. The
1: cops <laughs> come from inside the house of Diva.
0: Um is I'll say to my students, like, I read this article and this is what it said. And I'm gonna try this today. And at the end of the class, we're gonna talk about it. Did it work? Did it not work? Et cetera. Yeah. Or I'll do something and I'll be like, I'm we're gonna be doing this activity. And then after we're done, I'll ask the kids, like, why do you think? That I chose to do this activity. And so when I left the school district I was at, one of the students offered to write me a reference letter um, oh. to take to my next district. And I was amazed at the fact, because I thought I was just talking out into the ether, because the kids <laughs> would kind of be like, yeah, okay, all right. Like, oh, um, I guess you're using Nation's 432 method today, and this is why it worked. <laughs> But he actually remembered and talked about how he felt appreciated knowing how much I was thinking about him and in making my classes. And it made me realize that, like, I'm not the only one doing this level of thinking. All the teachers, well, no, most of the teachers are putting that kind of thought into it, but I was the only one talking about it. And I think part of that also goes into having appreciation in our profession from people outside of the profession, because Mm -hmm. oftentimes we are seen as glorified babysitters and anyone can do it. But by actually making it more transparent and saying like, look, this is what I'm doing, this is why, this was Mm -hmm. the reading that I did to make these choices, I think not only helps us as professionals, but gets kids able to advocate as well. Cause I had one of my colleagues come to me and be like, have you, are you talking about neuroscience in your class again? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, because one of the kids, when I handed out this worksheet, informed me that it was accessing this areas of the working memory and like something about like their uh I forget what it was, because I I I'd, I'd been doing a lot of reading about about what like what does it take to learn? Because could you listen to an audiobook under your pillow at night and still learn? And like what it, and so I geek out and then like start mm-hmm. thinking about that. And I was like, oh yeah, we talked about that. And I think that that's giving them advocacy and a sense of ownership of their learning, because it's not just us pouring into their cup. It's seeing the ways that they are participating in their own learning. Yeah. It's
2: actually speaking to the, the fact that they are like, you're talking to people as human beings now, yep. like you're being vulnerable. Like, Hey, I'm reading up on this. I'm going to share this all with all of you. Cause we would ask students to do the same, like whatever you're being exposed to, have a safe space here to bring that here and like there's an exchange of ideas that to me connects with what rob was saying before there was a book sitting in my head rob as you were talking like what does that remind me of when you talked about you know like like just the benefits of like bourbon that's funny that's how it sits me right but like getting ideas beyond you know these structured Mm -hmm. events uh where great ideas come from from steven johnson like this idea that um now, Grant, this was about like a colonial period. Obviously, there's only certain people in those bars and you know, places in the 1700s, unfortunately. But this idea of people from different walks of life could be able to communicate and be able to learn mm-hmm. from one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something we don't sometimes provide in that space. You know, mm-hmm. I, one of you had mentioned uh, as educators, like the opportunity to connect with people in other fields or you just talk about it. right. It doesn't happen often enough. We don't, or at Mm -hmm. least when it does, I think as educators, we sometimes feel it's like, okay, you're trying to put down onto us business practices, organizational theory. It's like our environment doesn't gel with that. And it's true. But at the same time, like, where is that openness to think about, like, this structure that we call school? Why does it exist the way we do? But again, Mm -hmm. the people that have that question and ask those questions are typically not the ones powered to be able to do anything about it. And -hmm. that's where. That's where I tend to bang the drum and get in district leaders' faces often, and say, <laughs> you know, the thing I often say to principals when they describe to me like a vision for their for pedagogy or instruction, and I say, well, great, let me let me look at a faculty meeting agenda, let me sit in. Most of the time, it doesn't line up, and I get to say, well, if you expect this in your classrooms, how in the world are you doing that in this way? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not bought in. So.
4: Well, and and where the great ideas come from? That's a. I, I'm. I'm re- just wrote it down. It's now going to be on my list to make sure I read that. But it's, you know, that's where I try to get outside of, if, especially if I'm in a funk or if I'm like in a creative funk where I need to, you know, I need to get outside of that and stop thinking about it for a little bit. So, you know, at the profession that I'm, or you know, the the job that I'm leaving, what I used to do is if I got stuck and I was in the office, I would shut it all down. I put music on in my headphones and I would rearrange my office. That's that's what I did. I, I would move the desk around, I would move, you know, bookshelves around, things like that, just rearrange the whole office. It'd probably take 30, 45 minutes, I'd get done, and the next thing I know, like I have ideas just flowing. Um, sometimes it's drive to work. Um, you know, I, I I need I feel like a little cloudy, so I'm gonna throw on like a making math moments of matter podcast, you know, with uh, you know, with John Orr and Kyle Pierce and just like listen to that and kind of like go into a zone. You know, things like that. I've got that.
3: a brilliant idea. Okay, in the teacher workroom, there should be um, showers with like <laughs> whiteboards in them that you c- that you can um, write down your ideas. And if you don't have an idea for a lesson, you just get, you're like, I don't know what I'm going to teach today. I'm getting in the shower and then I'll think of it. And I need some, but I need some, maybe some kind of audio recorder that's built into the shower. You push a button and it records it and it automatically sends it to your Google Drive. So like- um, Let's I'm just go, put whiteboards
5: in the bathroom stalls too while we're at it. Yes. you just, I'm just yes. There. Yeah, when people yeah.
1: draw on the bathroom walls, it's going to be brilliant. yeah exactly
0: I mean I think I'm gonna assume that Melee is joking but there might there's something to be said like what if one day at a staff room like the leader of the meeting just dumped a bunch of Legos in the middle and said like hey talk about your day work on some stuff we're gonna ask you to share out just one thing just one thing at the end um and just with that you know I And to go back to what Nick was saying about seeing people and professionals, like how often are we actually given the chance to be like outside of this unstructured environment of me telling you what to do or from this book to see just a regular idea as being worth sharing out?
4: Well, and that's another thing that I love about like the podcast and and the podcast game. I mean, I know like it, it's kind of like a, a joke at this point that everybody has a podcast that's especially over 30, like Jack said, but it's, it's, it's allowed for me over the past several years. Cause at one point I thought that the making math moments matter, that matter podcast was the only one that was out there that was about math. But clearly I, I just, had been exposed to the others yet. So I started to like dive into some others and realizing that there was so much more out there. And now I don't have enough hours in the day to listen to every podcast, every episode you know, I have to kind of pick and choose. Um, and you should but, only listen
3: to unprofessional development. So you've gotten through our whole catalog.
4: Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so, but what, what, I mean, that's what, that's where it's really changed me because of, I, I was listening to podcasts and, you know, I, I, there's a, a regular sports podcast that I listen to, you know, daily to kind of give me a mental vacation. That's like his the guy's whole tagline, it's like getting a mental vacation. I'm not going to shout it out, but if people are familiar, they'll know. Okay. Um, but but I'll, I'll listen to it, and it just helps me kind of like dive into like the sports field and, and stop thinking about like what I'm doing at that time. Uh, just just kind of disconnect. And I need it every day just to kind of keep me on on, on pace um, and I found that I've needed it every day. Cause the days that like, like they took off on Friday, it's a daily podcast Monday through Friday. And it, they took off this past Friday and I sat around like, well, oh, crap, like what am I going to do? Like, I need, I need something to kind of help me disconnect. So then I actually started diving into like educational podcasts and then my mind's going hundred miles an hour. Um, and I'm, you know, working and sharing ideas and, and trying to figure out, you know, which is great. Like I, I need that time, but I also need the time to kind of break away as well. So I found that like, learning podcasts and our whole setup for our podcast we've taken things here and there from uh, like ideas from people like oh i like how they do this and i think uh earlier uh jack you said something about trying to have like something at the beginning and and you were asking people about you know the animals and like for us we always ask like when did math first become controversial to you uh because like that's a whole thing with like debating and we You know, we, we encourage people to think back of like when you first saw it, whether it was a student or a teacher or whatever, and we want, so like, but that was something that we took from, you know, a a podcast that the two of us listened to. We started doing like little ad reads and that was something from the sports podcast that I listen to all the time. Like I, that was a great idea. They were able to get people on like, Hey, we'll do an ad read. We're going to do it at this point. So I, I, I kind of took that. They were one of the people that I first saw do it like four years ago. And I was like, yeah, that's a really cool idea. It's gonna help us generate some some revenue to break even. And so like I, I've learned from other podcasters on how they approach things and how like interview styles, like we don't we don't call ourselves an interview podcast. Um it's very much we facilitate conversation and debate. And Melee will tell you, like, it's very much like we're trying to to push the two sides to talk more mm-hmm. and chris and i don't talk a ton to be honest as much as i talk in this you know hour and 20 minutes i i really don't talk a lot during the podcast itself uh chris and i let the the star be the people that are on the podcast but that's that's kind of like our, our whole thing well we're learning from other podcasters and it's and it's bettering us as as podcasters but we're also learning about you know different content the conversations that that you all have with like math people, I will jump on those and listen to that. Unfortunately, if it's something about like, foreign language I I, there's no interest I'm sorry it's a really it's really
0: podcast do not worry (laughs)
4: like but if it if it were if it were uh you know like a foreign language podcast like I took two years of foreign language and I know how to say all the swear words and that's it like that's like I don't I wasn't interested in it I never I I couldn't get my head wrapped around wanting to learn it um and same thing with like ELA like uh, my English classes I was I felt good at being an English class student. And I had some teachers that really pushed me. Um, but I, I learned some things here and there, but the general overview of it, I didn't learn a ton. Although my best high school teachers were my English teachers and not my math teachers. Nice. Um, and that was just the nature of the beast. <laughs>
3: oh. Oh. So, by the way, we're, we're we're wrapping up here. I do want to kind of like everyone like say like a little goodbye or, or takeaway or whatever. So uh, I
4: I, I have to get on the road to Columbus, Ohio. So I okay. unfortunately I have a, okay. I have a three and a half hour drive ahead of me.
3: So first of all, I just want to say thank you, everyone. Just kind of like go around one more time and just say your name and your um
1: podcast. And when I'm today's going from professional development.
3: Oh, shut up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> My name is Nick Severi, Uh, co-host of the Can We Please Talk podcast.
5: Uh, I'm Jack from the Edge Chaos podcast. You can also catch me on TikTok and YouTube.
0: Uh, I'm Aviva Levin, and I'm from the Lesson Impossible podcast, which you can check out at lessonimpossible.com.
4: Rob Beyer, I am a co-host of the Debate Math podcast. Uh, You can find it literally anywhere where podcasts are found. We also uh, put out a YouTube video of each episode as well, Um, and it comes out on uh, the first Thursday of every month. So stay tuned. (laughs) Awesome, awesome.
3: (laughs) Thank you and stay unprofessional. Stay unprofessional. Stay Stay unprofessional.